LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Tessa Lena, who joins me to discuss possible futures as the human predicament shifts from one strain of viral hysteria to another. In the wake of all the broken connections and shattered lies of the coronavirus crisis, thinking and feeling people the world over are desperate for some respite. But fresh scares and fear-mongering abound seemingly determined to stampede us into a future of frugality and deprivation, eking out a meagre existence in the new normal. To have less, do less and be less, amid a high-tech matrix of control and surveillance is now the promised land. To own nothing and be happy as we await the end of humanity engulfed in the virtual reality of a transhumanist utopia. But is this the future you ordered? And if not, whose future is it? Hello and welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Hi, Greg. It's a pleasure to be a guest on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Now, before we jump into our topics for today, which is where we find ourselves at this stage in the early um, 21st century as as the human race, um, just tell listeners a bit about your background and your work. Uh, Well, I was born and raised in Moscow. I caught the very tail end of the Soviet Union and I saw it fall and I saw what happened to the generation of my grandparents, which impacted me a lot, how they were duped and betrayed uh, in their old age. And I did lots of things in life. I am a musician primarily. Uh, Then I worked in the news industry, in the media, and uh, I did Tibetan studies. I spent some time in Tibet. And when 2020 happened, I became very suspicious about it almost right away. And I also became outspoken. So since April 2020, I've been writing about COVID on Substack. And prior to that, I was writing about big tech and transhumanism on my own website, TessaFightsRoberts.com. And that was another reason why 2020 was so abusive right away. I could see that. Yeah, I was trying to remember how I stumbled upon your writing, actually, and I can't remember. Um, obviously, I signed up for your to get your email updates, but I, I don't know where it was. I just can't remember. Probably somebody posted something online that you'd written, and I just clicked through that. But it was, uh, yeah, just I don't know, because it feels like I've been reading your stuff forever, but it hasn't been. It's only been for about the past year. Oh, thank you. I'm honoured. Do you know, one of the most interesting things, if we can call it if interesting, <laughs> it's too small a word really, but that when the C-19 crisis kind of hit, it was seeing the reactions um, of people that we, we know, friends and family, colleagues, uh, and seeing the differences between them. I don't know how you found this, but there were some people who dealt with it 
in a way that um, I really didn't expect. I was kind of surprised at their reaction. And then there was other people who was like, yeah, okay, I expected that person to do that. So it's been, it was divisive to say the least during that time, wasn't it? There was a lot of, um, sadly, a lot of friendships, a lot of relationships were broken irrevocably uh, due that, during that time. Well, unfortunately, I think this is one of the saddest things. Well, there are many sad things about what has been going on for the past two years and a half, but uh, that broken connection and those broken connections with the loved ones probably was the most painful thing for many of us. And it's interesting because some of my friends from my pre-COVID life, they probably think that I'm crazy, a crazy conspiracy theorist and all that. But then there are some others who we completely disagree with and there's still warmth and uh, decency and respect even over disagreements. So it actually, I think, says a lot about the person on, on either end. So, for example, I have one friend who at one point, he pretty much saved my life, like a very beautiful human being. And then when 2020 happened, I mean, he loves Biden. He loves... Like, he went full mainstream narrative, so completely mainstream narrative about COVID and, like, injections and all that, but have decent conversations. So, I say, you know what, I disagree with you, but I love you. And he says, I disagree with you, and I love you. I mean, so, that's the kind of friendship that I think is normal. That should be the default, and probably would be the default, if the people in power did not intentionally try to mess with our minds. Because I don't think people naturally go into the crazy land where they just want to go at each other's throat. I think we as human beings usually need some help with that. So, yeah, I agree with you. Well, to love someone, you do not have to agree with everything they say or think. That was something I think that got lost. But but for sure, you're right. Uh, people were, it was what Rudolf Steiner referred to as the, what he saw forthcoming the war of all against all. And you're absolutely right. There had to be, uh, there had to be gasoline thrown on that fire, you know, and we were, we were goaded into attacking other people. And it was strange in many ways because on the face of it, what we were dealing with didn't really match up with the rhetoric. And yet it was one of those situations where people denied the evidence of their own senses in order to to follow something that they were theoretically told about whatever dimension of this, what we're talking about here, but coming at us from the media, you know, that 24 seven barrage, it was like, it doesn't matter what my lived experience is. I'm going to go with what I'm being told. Well, that can be taken even a lot deeper. And again, I completely agree with you. I think that adoring and relying on external explanations of the world, as opposed to your own senses is a very, very old trick. Because if we think about it, for example, when uh, the older cultures were attacked, and my point is that actually the pagans of the past are the anti-vaxxers of today. So the, the techniques of slandering were extremely, extremely similar, and the purpose was also extremely similar, because it was usually disempowering people with some kind of innate understanding and knowledge and stealing everything from everybody as a result. But so that whole concept of don't believe your own inner understanding of the world but rely on what the authorities are telling you whether those authorities come as an institutional religion and i'm not even talking about any religion in particular i'm just talking about this whole concept of a bureaucratic religious office that is telling you what god is which is 
I think, completely blasphemous because that's messing with the most sacred thing. So from there to trusting now the medical authorities over your own senses and even agreeing to being abused by virtue of not trusting your instincts and suspending your own internal feelings completely and relying on external authority. Well, the only difference is that today we're supposed to believe in science, quote-unquote, as opposed to believe in an institutional version of the sacred, which, again, it, it just it's just crazy, like the entire concept. It's the same principle with different talking points for different times and you know different psychological uh, perspectives. It is so treacherous. And that's exactly what they did. And another thing that is interesting, well, in my own life, at one point, I was married to an abusive man. That was a very long time ago, and it was extremely dramatic. It was extremely uh, grotesquely dramatic and horrible. And so one of the things he was doing was telling me that any opinion that I have was obviously ridiculous and criminal and bad, so I had to trust what he said and go with that. And if I dis didn't agree, then obviously there was something wrong with me and I had to correct myself and I was a bad person. And so when 2020 happened, and, and by the way, it took me a while. I mean, I was in denial for a while because it was very strange for me to accept that there was abuse happening and it was done to me. So I mean, the story went to a ridiculously dramatic, dr dramatic and painful uh ending before I stopped being in denial. And that also taught me kindness towards the people who are in denial about this thing. But anyway, so when 2020 happened, and then the messaging coming from the proverbial television was near identical to the type of messaging that was coming from my abusive ex, as in, here's what the story is, here's the correct version of reality is, and if you think otherwise, change your mind now, or else you're a horrible person, grammar killer, and all, all those things. And that was so blatantly abusive. And it is just fascinating. Actually, recently I received an invitation to do a presentation about domestic abuse because I'm, like pre-COVID, I'm a member of this very noble association and every now and then they ask me to, to talk about the domestic abuse and different events. And I haven't done any of that since COVID started. And... Then I got the invitation to do that, and then I couldn't do it anyway for scheduling reasons. But it made me think, so if I'm talking about domestic abuse today, like how weird is it to, to, to talk about that and not talk about what's going on around the whole COVID narrative? It's just a mind twister because you say, okay, a man or like a, a person cannot do this and th these are the red flags. They're telling you your opinion doesn't matter. They're telling you what to, to wear or what not to wear, where to go, where, where not to go. And then at the same time, the state is doing just that. It is just mind-blowing. Do you know that um, I was around when the Berlin Wall came down and the what was left of the Soviet Union kind of fell apart? And there are people, my generation, people I know, and... One of the things we found the whole life inside the Soviet Union to be sort of darkly comic, to be honest. And one of the phrases that you might have heard uh, Westerners say at that point is like, how can these people allow themselves to be fooled like this? You know, how can they not see? Of course, the people, you know, Russians and other people living inside the Soviet Union 
could see what was, you know, but there was a kind of a big game of pretend. Maybe you can sh- shed some light on this, but, you know, between the authorities and the people, it was kind of like almost everyone knew it wasn't working and it couldn't work, but everyone just went along with it. You know, that's, and, you know, it's so s- striking how people who might have scoffed at the Soviet system would have done so for, you know, for similar reasons to how you and I might look on at someone walking around in a trance, again, denying the evidence of their own senses. It is interesting. Well, I think in the Soviet Union, uh, there was a great difference between different generations. So by the time I was around, like it was a very, very late decaying phase of the Soviet Union. And at that point, most people didn't really believe it, except the very older generation, because they believed it all their lives, I think. And they were tragically betrayed and thrown under the bus after all the difficulties that they went through. But, say, people who were still in the age of like working and uh, so being in their prime, more or less, mostly really were kind of cynical about it. But then you had to say things, because you couldn't have any sort of career or social advancement or anything, really, uh, without repeating the absurd phrases. So people had to mention, say, the works of Marx, Engels, and Lenin in their dissertation, for example, as an acknowledgement, even if their dissertation was about, I don't know, medieval music of the 15th century in some obscure region somewhere. So there was just a known thing that you had to, uh, you had to open your mouth and say certain things in order to be okay in society. Uh, But then the generation of my grandparents, they were true believers, and they were born after the revolution, uh, 1917 revolution, Bolshevik revolution, and so the Bolsheviks knew very well that they had to brainwash the kids, I mean, that was probably one of the main objectives, in order to keep power, I mean, they had to brainwash the kids, and there was a huge, huge emphasis put on education, well, propagandistic education, also, well, modern education, but it had to be propagandistic. And they truly believed in, like, communism and all those things. And and they had such harsh lives. I mean, they went through wars and they defeated Hitler and they went through collectivization and all those horrible things. And, and they were mostly true believers. And it was their religion, in a way, because people have to believe in something sacred, something that is bigger than them. And their version, what was given to them as bigger than them was the bright communist future and dictatorship of a proletarian whatever and all those things so and they they fought the war the world war ii and sacrificed tremendous tremendous amounts of everything to winning that war and then rebuilding the economy and they they really were heroes but at the, at the same time they were very propagandized and so as a kid well as a kid i i wasn't thinking about politics i was just believing what i was told obviously like as a very small kid but then as i was growing up and the soviet union fell and all of a sudden everybody knew that the bolsheviks were horrible people and criminals and liars and and that censorship was horrible and freedom of expression is good and so all of a sudden everybody knows that but then the generation of my grandparents were still believing in the in the communist story because that was their sacred and that was just tragic to observe because all of their lives they really believed in it and 
they sacrificed a ton of everything for its sake. And then when they were old, at a time when elders need to be respected and really be the givers of advice and teaching other people about life, they were told that all that story was nonsense, that they were deceived. But of course, they, they mostly didn't accept that they were deceived. They were still believing in it. And that was one of the things that really shaped my perception of things because I could see people with really ridiculous ideas in a way. And, you know, as a kid, you always think, plus, I mean, like adults, I mean, what can adults know about life? Of course, nothing, right? So if you're a kid. So, but on top of that, I saw that they believed in all those absurd ideas and oppressive and totalitarian and whatnot. But they were really brave, wonderful, kind people, very strong as a generation, very resilient, very strong, very hardy. And so there was this juxtaposition of where people can have ideas I completely disagree with and I find ridiculous, but I can bond with them and respect them and love them and have relationships with them. And that came in very handy now in 2020 because it's almost like it's the beginning of the film that I saw the ending of as a kid. And I see how it, it's coming about and how people are getting duped and, and bullied and deceived. And, and of course, everybody reacts to it according to the state of their soul at the moment. And therefore, I'm not particularly arrogant towards the people who are going with the narrative completely because, I mean, they're also abuse victims. And yes, we have to protect ourselves from abuse no, no matter whether it's by evil intention or by confusion, that's without a doubt. That's our first task. But at the same time, I have a lot of compassion for the people who went for it because they were just easy abuse victims for whatever reason, for their internal state, for their life experience, or lack of life experience. But that's all abuse, so that's all around abuse. Well, the headline of our talk today is post-pandemic panic. And the crux of what I want to get to really is how what we lived through with the uh, the C-19 thing, really people were just looking for some respite, I think. People were so mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted by the whole experience, whatever side they found themselves on, or if they were somewhere in the middle of it all. Uh, but really, we haven't seen that. It's moved seamlessly, media barrage of bad news stories, Went, it just flicked like a switch. It was really striking and it, all, all sorts of people commented on this actually, how the, the COVID narrative was just dropped like a stone. It's still there, but in terms of media coverage, it was dropped like a stone and it became about, uh, Russia and the Ukraine on the same day. It was just literally like flipping a switch, as I said. And since then, and you've been documenting this, I mean, I've stopped even attempting to think about numbers of bad news stories. Uh, and I, almost, is there any front on which there isn't doom mongering, fear mongering? I, I can't think of one. So really that respite that people were kind of hoping for, uh, never came. And if it's just been ramped up since then, it feels different. It feels different to how it did during 2020 and 2021. But really in terms of uh, an assault on mind, body and spirit, it's, it hasn't let up at all. Uh, I think it's true. And I think that to begin with, it was all about, the proverbial climate emergency and the entire restructuring of the economy towards, you know, the fourth industrial revolution and this whole dystopian organization of society that I'm, I'm sure your audience is familiar with. So I'm not going to go into great detail 
into the features of that type of society. But I think that to begin with, they tried to do it with the topic of climate and Greta and all that prior to 2020. And they couldn't get very far. I mean, they did scare a bunch of young people. But still, it did not have that momentum. And the tech companies were trying to move education online and to train people for this perpetual surveillance, but they weren't moving fast enough to their liking. So then when 2020 happened and the like pandemic and the fear and the biosecurity, uh, that really moved things in their favor. And now I think we're back to climate because that's, and, and now, of course, they marry the two topics. So they're saying the, that the climate is causing the pandemics because this and that and the other. So the point is to keep people in fear. The point is to prevent people from feeling dignified enough to push back. And the, the narrative has been shaped just out of the blue sky, or I could use the anatomical part out of which they're taking it. So it's, 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 it's amazing. And, it's just sheer bullying. And they're just, I mean, like, I, 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 ju- I just published an article where I introduced the term stink hose, which is the all-surround attack of brown liquid from a hose from every direction. And th- that is supposed to confuse the people and overwhelm the senses. And I think that's th- what they're doing. So if it's not COVID, so in New York currently, we have two or three emergencies. I can't even keep track anymore. So COVID emergency, I'm not sure if they still have it or they dropped it. But then there's monkeypox. No, I think they still have COVID. They might have dropped monkeypox, but now there's polio emergency. So they're just making it up as they go with some planning, I'm sure. But it's we're in the land of anything goes. And it's extremely similar to, well, in the late Soviet Union, there was this feeling of like anything goes. Like one time, and that was actually post the Soviet Union, but I think that the feeling carried over. I visited Moscow while well, I was I was living here, and I was at a restaurant at night downtown Moscow, and then they, and it was open. It was like two two o'clock in the morning or something like that, and so then they took a table, and started sawing it. For no rhyme or reason. I have no idea why they were doing that. And it was just, as a matter of fact, they took a table, they started sewing it in half. And that was just, and nobody even asked any questions. So that kind of absurdity, it's anything goes. And that's a psychological technique to completely confuse our senses and then to, to steal, to steal as much as they can. Yeah, you read my mind when you mentioned the monkeypox and polio, because that was two things that I raised my eyebrows when they popped up in the news post-COVID, I was just like, really? I don't know how soft they thought people's brains had become, but they would... I remember reading one monkeypox headline, and it said that, oh, there were now 500 cases in the UK. This is a population of nearly 70 million, and this was supposed to be newsworthy. And I was like, saying 500... You can pick something much more serious than monkeypox and find more than 500 people with it in this country, and that's not getting written up in the news. And then the polio thing was also just bizarre, you know, something that's not been eradicated, but it's really, certainly in, in advanced nations, we think of it as something that maybe affected previous generations somewhat, but certainly not a health threat. It, but it reminded me how this sort of health thing, um, this, this obsession with all things medical and medicine is likely to be part of the narrative going forward, because it's one thing for us to be told uh, you know, for that, for our minds to be assaulted, but we're also being told now that we, the assumption inherently is that we're 
sick until proven healthy, basically, not the other way around. And it's like the whole, I don't, I guess it'd be similar in the parts of the US, but at one point I used the phrase one big hospital. It felt like the whole country had become one big, you know, ER room, basically. And what took the biscuit for me was, and this has stopped, thankfully, but I don't know if this was laid on by the local authority, but there was a bus. I live on a major road here. And a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, I saw a bus, a special service that had been set up simply to take people to the local hospital. That was the only thing that bus service did was go to the hospital. And I thought, what the hell? <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is this is very true. I mean, the, the, the whole biosecurity state is a very convenient way using health and public health as an excuse to steal as much as possible and to establish as much control over people as possible is probably a really brilliant idea if you're trying to do something evil because who can argue with like health? And of course, the words they use, they're all upside down. But if you would take, if you were to take their rhetoric at face value, and if everything, if all the logical premises they were quoting were true, then one could debate. I mean, still wouldn't because individual freedom is extremely important no matter what. But they, they set up a web of lies to justify another web of lies. I mean, that's, that is very sad. And it requires a lot of strength, internal emotional strength to, to resist that. The point you made about in Soviet times, um, the importance of uh, co-opting young people, you mentioned that in the context of pre-COVID, you know, with the climate thing, Greta Thunberg and et cetera, et cetera. But that's really, that's really the front line of all this that I see, particularly regarding climate, but other things as well, is aiming it at young people. And you, I, I don't know if you've got the exact equivalent in the US or not, but we have this organization in the UK you're aware of, no doubt, called Extinction Rebellion, uh, which is basically a death cult, as far as I can see. Again, it's turning our, our own species on itself. You know, the, the whole thing, which I've never bought for one second, like human beings are just a cancer on the planet sort of thing, or whatever we want to be. We can behave like that for sure, but that's not our inner nature, and sorry, inherent nature. And one thing that, that I despise, the type of behavior I despise, and you see this coming from quote-unquote so-called elites now, whether it's it's media or corporate or government, it is condemning the population at large, what they see as the masses, for behaving in a certain way and having certain attitudes, but at the same time doing everything they can sometimes covertly, sometimes overtly, to make them that way. So it's like dumbing someone down and then criticizing them for being stupid. Not only that, but the proverbial elites, I mean, we, I, 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 I have strong feelings about that entire thing because I don't think we have an overpopulation problem, if we look to look at that. I think we have a problem of, well, destructive behaviors for sure, but they originate from, from the top of the top. And a very tiny amount of human beings on this earth own a lot of this a lot of the things on this earth including land and different types of property and production facilities and all that and and they establish the thinking patterns and the production patterns and create all this destruction and introduce the technologies that are destroying everything in nature and our own health 
and that is creating problems, but it's not overpopulation. Earth has plenty of wonderful things for everybody. If they weren't so damn greedy, or sick or broken, or trying to control, there would not be any scarcity or shortage. So we have artificial scarcity coming from this completely messed up view on the world. And then they're trying to blame it on the people. It's like yeah, they're flying private jets and doing all those things, and yet the peasants have to take shorter showers. I mean, the hypocrisy is obvious. It's, it's so obvious. It's almost like a cartoon, but unfortunately they're using this completely unbelievable cartoon to push through really horrible things. Yeah, well, the second part, the headline of our talk is you will own nothing and be happy, which is a reference to the World Economic Forum and their great reset plans and Klaus Schwab and things that uh, he and other individuals have gone on record with. Basically, we're being stampeded into um, a, a future of having less, doing less, ultimately being less. And you don't have to have a materialistic worldview, you know, to think, to, to sort of judge your well-being through having things. You don't have to see the world that way at all to, to, to still be affected by this. And as far as, I mean, you're right. It's like basically don't do as we do, do as we say. Basically, that's the, the, that, that's the, how it's characterized coming from the top. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>